the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. President Joe Biden to speak with Chinese President Xi Jinping this week amid rising tensions. This will be a a, a significant conversation when it happens. The U.S. discusses unfreezing and then giving assets to the Taliban for humanitarian relief. President Biden's executive order earmarked $3.5 billion to support the urgent needs of the people of Afghanistan. Russia to discontinue use of the International Space Station after 2024. There is certainly tension underneath uh, the surface up there on the space station. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, July 27th. I'm Mike Scott. According to reports, President Joe Biden will speak with Chinese leader Xi Jinping on Thursday amid fresh tensions over Taiwan. I think I'll be talking to President Xi within the next 10 days. The first conversation between the two presidents since March will take place as the U.S. and China are seeing a new level of tension that hasn't been seen in years as U.S. Ambassador to China Nicholas Burns said in June that relations with China have deteriorated to probably the lowest moment since diplomatic relations resumed in 1972. Biden, who is recovering from the coronavirus at the White House, also is considering whether to lift some tariffs on Chinese imports in a bid to stem rampant inflation. Matthew Lee of the Associated Press says the phone call, he believes, will be an important one. This will be a a, a significant conversation when it happens. There are a lot of things on the U.S.-China agenda right now um, and a lot of really delicate uh, and tricky things uh, that have the potential to explode into something that uh, neither country would, would, would probably want Um, should there be any kind of miscalculation or misunderstanding of of the other's position. And so that's why this kind of call at the leader's level uh, is very important. Lee says there are multiple subjects the leaders of both countries will want to discuss. You have issues that are at the front and center, ranging from Taiwan to Hong Kong to human rights in Xinjiang and Western China to uh, Chinese actions in the South China Sea. Lee says China is accusing the U.S. of backsliding on America's One China policy with its support of Taiwan and would see Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan as an insult. The Chinese are extremely sensitive about the issue of Taiwan. This is the number one thing that they raise in every single meeting that they ever have with U.S. officials and complain about the support that the U.S. is giving to Taiwan and accuse the U.S. of backsliding on its one-China policy. The concern right now from the White House, from the Pentagon, from the State Department, from the intel community is that 
the Chinese would see a visit by Speaker Pelosi right now at this at this point in time, just a couple months before the Party Congress and just about a month before the UN General Assembly, before all of these other big international summits at which President Xi and President Biden are both expected to attend as a real uh, insult, as a real uh, affront. They might be more inclined to take a stronger response than they might otherwise be expected to. Gordon Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China, joined America First with Sebastian Gorka to discuss the latest on U.S. tensions with China. Chang says that it is his opinion that China believes the White House is divided. I think this is especially significant because my sense, and it's only a sense, is that uh, it's more than just bluster this time. And the reason is with Pelosi or nothing to do with Taiwan, it has to do with Beijing's perceptions of the Biden administration. Um, They believe that the administration is in disarray. And actually, we have seen this, um, for instance, last week in the president's comments about the speaker's trip, which really were ill-advised. Because what they did on Wednesday, he said, well, look, the military doesn't think it's a good idea. Well, it's not up to the military. It's up to the president of the United States. He's the one. He's the only one who makes the policies. And what he did by sort of revealing what the generals and admirals told him was it emboldened Beijing because it told the Chinese, look, there's a division inside the Biden administration that gives Beijing the incentive to intimidate the Bidens even more than usual. However, Chang points out that China is in dire economic straits. We have uh, people across China in now what is called the mortgage boycott. In other words, people are not paying their mortgages on unfinished apartments that they had committed themselves to buy. That mortgage boycott has now spread to suppliers of property developers who are not paying their loans to the banks. And we're seeing the debt crisis as big property developers default. This is important because property in China accounts for somewhere between 25 to 30 percent of gross domestic product. In other words, it's an enormously important part of the Chinese economy. We see other symptoms of the Chinese people not wanting to buy things. The only things that are keeping the Chinese economy from completely failing are robust export sales and also money from Wall Street going into the Chinese equity markets. But you take out those two things. And I believe that China would be an obvious um, freefall situation. No final decision has been made about stopping in Taiwan during Pelosi's trip to Asia next month, according to a person familiar with details. Pelosi would be the first sitting speaker since Newt Gingrich to visit the island. According to U.S. officials, the Biden administration is working to keep European allies united against Russia as Moscow further cuts its energy supplies to the EU. It's prompting panic on both sides of the Atlantic over potentially severe gas shortages heading into winter. Officials say that a 15% cut in Europe's gas consumption, along with gas exports to Europe from countries including the U.S., is unlikely to be enough to offset the shortages. CNN's Claire Sebastian says the move from Russia is a political issue. 
We all knew from the beginning of the war in Ukraine that you were never going to be able to replace all of Russian gas with mm. other gas. So there was always going to be demand reduction. But here we have a very urgent situation because until the recent cuts to the supply coming through Nord Stream 1, it was the biggest single artery supplying Russian gas to Europe. So it's critically important. It was at 40% capacity. Now Russia says that another turbine needs repair. One is already on its way back from Canada. Russia says it hasn't arrived yet. And another one now needs repair. And they say that means a cut uh, of another 20%. The EU, of course, says that that's just a pretext, that this is a political uh, issue. And Sebastian says that the EU's decision to cut back on gas consumption by 15% is voluntary for now. And meanwhile, that has stepped up the urgency for the EU to, to, to agree on this new deal to cut energy demand, gas demand in particular, mm. by 15% this winter. It's a voluntary measure, the 15%. But if there's an emergency and they trigger what's called a union alert, then it becomes mandatory. And here's mm. where we get the compromises. Because in order to get this over the line, they had to agree to exemptions. Mm. Exemptions for countries like Ireland and Malta who are not connected to the pipeline system. Uh, exemptions for the Baltics who are not connected to the electricity grid and, and a few other sort of mm. derogations they're called where people can reduce the target from 15 percent down to something lower. Sebastian says that not everyone in the EU is on board with the cutbacks. Cracks are already appearing. We're mm. hearing from the Hungarian uh, government, the, the chief spokesperson, quoting the foreign minister uh, in a tweet, which I think uh, we can show you. He's saying uh, this for Hungary, this decision is completely unacceptable and its implementation is out of the question. He continues the proposal completely ignores the interests of Hungary. We're seeking more clarity on this from the Hungarian government, but they are certainly very opposed to it. They have been opposed to a number of the measures that have sought to, to, to sort of garner agreement on an EU-wide level. But it shows how controversial this is and how powerful Russia's leverage still is when it comes to its energy supplies. Sebastian says that Russia reducing gas supplies will have an impact on the world economy. The IMF has downgraded global growth from 6.1% to 3.2%. They say if Russia cuts the gas to Europe completely, then it will go to 2.6%. So you can see the impact there. And there's, there is that uncertainty still. This is still hanging over Europe. Russia has used this tactic of incrementally reducing these supplies to sort of hold over Europe uh, this leverage. And that is why we see this urgency today with these demand cuts. Meantime, the White House also announced that the Department of Energy will be issuing a notice to sell 20 million more barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as a part of the Biden administration's effort to bring gas prices down. That makes the fifth such sale that the White House has authorized. The U.S. is negotiating with the Taliban on the release of $3.5 billion in Afghan reserves frozen when the Taliban retook control of that country. Sources say the Taliban wants to keep top figures in the Afghan Central Bank in their roles despite one of them being under U.S. sanctions. The U.S. froze Afghanistan's $9.5 billion in cash reserves after the Taliban took over in August of 2021. The Taliban is demanding it back, pointing to the country's economic crisis. Negotiations are focused on $3.5 billion of that $9 billion in the account. President Joe Biden signed an executive order in February to say that amount could be sent to Afghanistan as humanitarian aid. CBS's senior investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge 
says the freezing of Afghan assets impacted American families who were victims of terrorism. In 2015, with bipartisan support, Congress created a fund to compensate terrorism victims. Financed through fines and penalties, it's allocated more than $3 billion of claims. But when the Afghan money was frozen, the process was different, impacting hundreds of American families. Heritage says the Essington family, one of many American families, thought some of the frozen assets would go to help fund Americans who were victims of terrorism. 77-year-old Bob Essington recalls April 18, 1983, as the day terror rained down on the U.S. Embassy in Beirut, Lebanon. It was a shock. It was like a shock wave hit me. Planted by an Iranian-backed terror group, the 2,000-pound truck bomb killed 63 and injured more than 100. Nobody knew what it was at first, but then all of a sudden the impact... The explosive force compressed Essington's spine, permanently impairing his mobility. I have a stimulator implanted in my hip with 14 plates on my spine. If I shut it off, I go into instant pain, and there's nothing to stop the pain. After the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan and froze $7 billion in assets from that country's central bank, the Essingtons, along with other families, expected at least some of the money would go to a general compensation fund created by Congress to benefit U.S. victims of terrorism. Mr. Essington says he feels like the U.S. government doesn't care about his family. President Biden's executive order earmarked $3.5 billion to support the urgent needs of the people of Afghanistan. The remaining $3.5 billion was left for a New York court to decide compensation, with a small group of 9-11 families with claims against the Taliban at the head of the line. We're not going to get anything for what happened to us. You know, it's like the government doesn't care anymore. Heritage says over 400 victims of terrorism have written letters to the White House asking the president to change course. Victims of terrorist attacks in the 80s and 90s against U.S. embassies and military installations sent this letter with over 400 signatures to President Biden, urging him to change course, writing the Victims' Compensation Fund was created for exactly these moments for the benefit of all U.S. terrorism victims, not one small group. The White House told CBS News the administration undertook extensive analysis on this complex issue that factored in the urgent need for Afghan aid and victims' compensation, adding the administration could not simply transfer to the Victims' Fund. The House Sergeant-at-Arms is creating a residential security program to provide thousands of dollars to congressional lawmakers to help safeguard their homes. Details on this from Daybreak Insider's congressional correspondent, Bernie Bennett. The Sergeant-at-Arms sent a letter to members and staff on Monday announcing the residential security program which is set to begin on August 15th. The initiative will pay up to $10,000 worth of security systems, equipment, and installation costs at House lawmakers' personal residences. Eligible equipment includes motion sensors, video recorders, indoor and outdoor cameras, and door locks. The officer also said the program covers fixed-rate monthly monitoring and maintenance fees up to $150 a month incurred by members. Bernie Bennett in Washington. Former President Donald Trump returned to Washington on Tuesday for the first time since leaving office, delivering a speech hours after his former vice president, Mike Pence, a potential 2024 rival, urged the party to stop looking backward. Former Vice President Pence says conservatives need to unite 
to face the future. Conservatism is bigger than any one moment, any one election, or any one person. It's always been about ideas. Pence was asked about the divide between him and former President Trump. I don't know that the president and I differ on issues, but we may differ on focus. I I truly do believe that elections are about the future, and that it's absolutely essential at a time when so many Americans are hurting, so many families are struggling, that we don't give way to the temptation to look back. The former vice president says the nation cannot afford to take its eye off the long road ahead. Now, some people may choose to focus on the past, but elections are about the future. And I believe conservatives must focus on the future to win back America. Pence says radical Democrats are actively trying to change the country. The ruling elites here in Washington and all across this country have never been more out of touch with the values of everyday Americans, but more, never more intent on imposing their agenda on each and every one of us. And the former vice president says there's a collective effort to try and change the values Americans hold sacred. American freedom is under attack. Big tech, big media, big government, even big business have locked arms to advance a pernicious woke agenda designed to control the American people and destroy the American dream. Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh, who last week spoke at a pro-life fundraising event in the state of Michigan, said this past weekend that we'll raise the baby should someone in his family or program be involved with an unplanned pregnancy. I've told the same thing I tell my, my, my kids, boys, the girls, same thing I tell our, our players, our staff members. Uh, you know, I would encourage them if they have, if they have a pregnancy that you know, wasn't planned, uh, you know, to go through with it, go through with it, you know, let that, that unborn child be born. And if at that time you, know, uh, you, you don't feel like you can care for it, you don't have the means or the wherewithal, then Sarah and I will take that baby. Any player on our team, uh, any female staff member, any staff member, or anybody in, in our family, our, our, uh, our, uh, our extended family that, that, that uh, doesn't feel like after they have a baby that they can take care of for it, we got a big house and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll raise that baby. Harbaugh had recently come under fire from a few when he attended that pro-life rally. When asked about it, Harbaugh says he understands it's a hot topic at the moment and welcomes discussion on it in the future. Facing a potentially grim report this week on the economy's overall health, President Joe Biden wants to convince a skeptical public that the U.S. is not, in his opinion, heading into a recession. President Biden says he does not think the economy is heading for that economic downfall, but is rather just cooling off after a blistering pandemic recovery. We're not going to be in a recession, uh, in my view. Uh, we are, The employment rate is still one of the lowest we've had in history. It's in the 3.6 area. Uh, we still find ourselves with people investing. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the Biden administration is trying to preemptively spin the economy's poor state. The White House published a whole explanation insisting that even if the new data suggested our country is in recession, we actually won't be. 
It's almost beyond satire. The White House isn't focusing their energies on correcting their mistakes and making the economy better for working families who are hurting. Instead, their priority is telling everybody things uh, aren't as bad as they look or feel. McConnell also says the Biden administration has been wrong about the economy way too many times. The same people who said inflation wouldn't happen and then said it would be transitory and then said it had peaked last year are now insisting we aren't headed into a recession. Well, draw your own conclusions. A growing number of analysts believe it will take some kind of recession to ease price pressures significantly. A recent Bloomberg survey of economists says the chance of a downturn over the next 12 months is up to 47.5%. The chance was at about 30% in June. Boeing workers are expected to go on strike at three plants in the St. Louis area after they voted Sunday to reject a contract offer from the giant plane maker. Daybreak Insider's John Scott has more on this developing story in the aerospace field. It would happen next month for 2,500 workers at three plants in the St. Louis area after they voted Sunday to reject a contract offer from the plane maker. The strike planned to begin August 1st. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers District 837 said workers want a fair and equitable contract. Boeing says it's disappointed workers rejected the deal that featured what it called competitive raises and a generous retirement package. John Scott reporting. living member of an all-black, all-female World War II unit will be recognized for her service at Montgomery City Hall in Alabama. Our Daybreak Insider correspondent Julie Walker has more on this story. Romay Davis doesn't want to believe how old she actually is. I'm 102 to tell me. I don't want to believe it, but they say so. The World War II vet enlisted in 1943 was eventually sent to Europe as part of the 6888, where she was in the motor pool delivering mail and is extremely proud of her contributions, saying it was exciting for a country girl from Virginia. There's a lot of excitement and a lot of new things for country girls to see. In March, President Biden signed a bill authorizing the Congressional Gold Medal for the unit. I'm Julie Walker. And finally, according to Russia's new space chief, Russia will pull out of the International Space Station and, after 2024, focus on building its own orbiting outpost. This comes amid high tensions between Moscow and the West over the fighting in Ukraine. MSNBC's Tom Costello says the announcement is critical. This is a big deal, and we'll see if Russia really follows through on on what they're saying today. But the new head of of the uh, Russian space agency had a meeting with Vladimir Putin today and said, we're out, we're leaving the International Space Station at the end of 2024. Now, the Russian module really controls or or assists with the propulsion on the space station. So it is a critical piece of the space station. Uh, On the other hand, you know, this is very much an integrated station, and the U.S. side provides the solar power, right? So if you suddenly, I don't even know if you could detach the Russian side, but regardless, the Russians say they want to end their cooperation. Costello says Russia is saying they now want to partner with China on their own space station. They've also talked about going into some sort of a joint venture with the Chinese on on a space station with China. 
You know, observers say, wait a minute, you really can't hit the altitude, the orbit that the Chinese space station is in from Russian territory. So is that just a bit of bluster and not reality? Um, we'll see what happens over the next two, two and a half years. But uh, as you well know, the stress and the tension between the U.S. and Russia is very real. Costello goes on to say that while activities still carry on normally, for now, there is tension below the surface. All astronauts and cosmonaut activities have been going on as normal, and uh, we are told stress-free, but we did see Russian cosmonauts on orbit uh, unveiling uh, flags from the breakaway republics in Ukraine that are aligned with Russia. So there is certainly tension underneath uh, the surface up there on the space station, and clearly Russia has decided right now it does not want to be any more involved with the United States and its international partners on the space station. NASA officials said they had yet to hear directly from their Russian counterparts on that matter. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.